I am delighted to be here, and my wife is likewise delighted to be here. We've been here many times. It had been six or seven years this time since we had had the honor of being in the Grace Baptist Church, but it is an honor to us, and we're glad to be here. And some folks came with us from Texas. It's not enough to take over the state of... Where are we, anyway? What state is it? <laughs> Kentucky. He had to make a remark about the Alamo. He claims that most of the people that fought in the Alamo were from Kentucky. And North Carolina. And North Carolina. They got a lot better when they got to Texas. I know that, whatever they were. It's a joy to be with you. Brother Chris Cunningham and Vicky are some of my favorite people. In fact, they're like my children. About 20-something years ago, I looked up in our church and there was a man sitting there with a a young man, almost a boy, and I found out that the man was a friend that I had known many years ago, and the boy that was with him was Chris Cunningham. And Chris stayed there. I said he wouldn't make it, but he stayed there. He was there 20 years, uh, long enough to become my son, really. I just... uh, If I could, I'd put him in the trunk of my car and take him back down there. But he won't allow that, so I'll leave him up here. But Chris and Vicky, I took Chris to a Bible conference in uh, Tennessee, and I thought he might spy out a young lady, and sure enough, he did. And there was Vicky sitting over there. We both looked at her, and uh, she looked at us, and that's how it got started. <laughs> and you can tell how it ended up, or it's not ended up yet, but they have three wonderful children, and they got married and had those children, and I count them as my grandchildren. And uh, I want you to know that it was a big thing when we gave up the Cunninghams to Tennessee. And uh, I may do something about it yet. I don't know about that. <laughs> we love them and we, we miss them. And, but I know God's will. I see God's will and Him moving where He moved and them living in Tennessee and being a blessing to everybody up here. We're glad to have some folks come with us. We have uh, Linda Howard, and Desta has been in our church for, oh, I don't know how long. She just sang, and we hear that beautiful singing all the time. She's been with us about 25, 30 years, I guess. She is Brother Walter Gruber's daughter, and like Don said, she's the best thing ever happened to Walter Gruber. She really is. That daughter. And Ray and Betty McMahon came with us. I know you've met Ray and Betty. They've been with us a long time down there. They love love the preaching. 
My wife and I decided to come because it was anniversary time and we decided to take an anniversary trip and this is it. We've been married now 57 years. And uh, a school teacher asked her class to define love. And a little girl held her hand up and she said, Yes, honey, what is love? And she said, It's when two old people live together for a long time and still like each other. (laughs) I still like her. (laughs) And so we've had 57 good years together. We have four children and several grandchildren God's blessed us richly. Now look at Romans 8. Romans 8, verse 18. Is this for any purpose up here, this little doodad here, what's that do? Just make people ask questions. <laughs> Looks like a clock. I didn't know I was going to be on a clock. Okay. Well, I'm not going to do anything to it. I'll just leave it alone. Hmm? Okay. All right, Romans 8, verse 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Paul the Apostle wrote those words. And then Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11, 4, 11. And the same Paul said, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned. Paul said, I've learned. In whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. He had to learn that. And I've been attempting to learn, as Paul did, I've done a bad job of it, but I'm attempting to learn as Paul did. I'd like to learn because we know so little. I've read some of the great theological debates that have gone forth recently on the email and so forth, and I must say, every time I read all of those pages of theological consideration, it confuses me a great deal. So I guess I'll just tell you what's on my heart without trying to teach you a lot of theology. Theology is good. The study of God is good. But we need to keep things, I believe, where we can understand what we're talking about. The subject I have here is how Paul learned.
Paul said, I have learned. How did he learn? Well, in Romans 8.18, he said, I reckon. I reckon. Now, that's a good word. My mother used to use that word, only she didn't have the slightest idea what it meant, and she said it in a different way than reckon. She said, reckon. I'll never forget her all those times she said, reckon. You ask my mother something, and she'd say, I reckon so. I reckon so. I can hear her saying it now. And so she didn't know much about the Word, but my mother was a a genteel, wonderful woman. I reckon so. Now, the way she said it, she was saying, I guess so. But when Paul said, I reckon, he's saying it as to count or to regard as being. It's a fact. I reckon. That's what the word reckon means as Paul used it. Now, we might think that Philippians 4.11 was written by someone who didn't suffer much in this life and didn't know much about the depth of suffering that many know. But the Apostle Paul, as you well know, was subjected to the worst suffering that men can be put into. Second Corinthians chapter 11. We'll just read a couple of scriptures tonight. Second Corinthians chapter 11. You're familiar with all of these. Chapter 11, verse 23. And he says, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I'm more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft, of the Jews five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city and in the wilderness and in the sea and among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness and watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. And he said, besides those things, that's not enough. Besides those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Now, that was a load there. All the churches that he had established, he would go back and care for them and find out how they were doing and take care of those churches. So Paul was a man who didn't know the comfortable, easy life. He was hated 
by his kinsmen and beaten black and blue, and he knew what it was to be deprived not only of comforts, but also the bare necessities of life. But he was a cheerful man. What was the secret of Paul's overcoming troubles and trials? Well, he said, I reckon. He's doing some reckoning. And he looks at his life, what all's happening to him, and then he goes on and looks at the life that's coming. And he looks at that and he says, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not even worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Optimist. Paul was an optimist. And the reason, the first reason for his optimism was that he knew the sufferings of a Christian are a brief duration. He said this present time. These are things of this present time. I'm glad that everything that we're going through here are for this present time, and they're not forever. This is in great contrast from the sufferings of those who do not know the Lord Jesus. Are you here tonight without a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you realize the sufferings that you face? Not only in this life, but in throughout eternity. Your suffering shall be eternal forever. If I read my Bible right, forever tormented in the lake of fire. I don't know exactly what that means, but I know it's awful. The believer's sufferings are restricted to this short life which is compared to a flower that comes forth and is cut down and a shadow that flees and continues not. A few short years, and I mean they're short. Some of you are young. Some of you are older, some of you are middle-aged. You don't know how short. I've seen 76, and it seems like uh, last year was 21. They're gone. The years are gone, and I won't be here long. According to age, I won't be around very long. A few short years at most. And we're going to pass from this veil of tears, and there's plenty of tears in this life, and we'll go into that country where groans and sighs and uh, tears are never, never heard and seen. Won't that be wonderful? (laughs) Wonderful. You don't think I ask the Lord every day, Lord, is it time? Let's go. It's time to go. And he said, no, not yet. Not yet. I thought perhaps this year, the way this year is gone, that it was time, but it's not yet. 
Somebody wrote this. They asked the question, is this the right road home? Is this the right road home, O Lord? The clouds are dark and still. The stony path is sharp and hard, and each step brings some fresh hill. I thought the way would brighter grow, and that the sun with warmth would glow, and joyous songs from free hearts flow. Is this the right road home? Yes, child, this is the very path I trod. The clouds were dark for me. The stony path was hard to tread, and not sight but faith can see that at the end the sun shines bright forever where there's no night, and glad hearts rest from earth's fierce fight. Is this the right road home? Yes, it is. It's the right road home, whatever you're going through, whatever God has put you in. It's the right road home. And so the apostle, first of all, was cheery about He's reckoning that this present time, he said this present time, this present time will be gone and then it'll all be over. And then secondly, the apostle looked forward with the eye of faith to what he called the glory. I reckon that the sufferings are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now, to Paul, the glory was something more than a beautiful dream. It was a reality that exerted a powerful influence on him, consoling him in the most trying hours of adversity. This is one of the real tests of faith. To Paul, all was good. Now, I talked this morning, or was it yesterday morning, to Bill Myers. Bill, where are you? I still remember your name. <laughs> I always forget names, but I got his written down. He said to me, he sat down at the breakfast table. And he said, I've been wanting to meet you. And I said, well, I don't know why, but here I am. And he said, I, when I heard, first heard you on tape, I thought you were Scott Richardson. And I said, you better not tell Scott that. He said, I heard you tell a story. He didn't remember exactly what it was. It had something to do with everything being good. And I said, well, I'll just tell that again tonight. I've told it everywhere I've ever been, I guess. Most of you have heard it, but it won't hurt you to hear it again. This is good. There was a king who had a good friend in his kingdom, and they... They went out hunting together. And when they went, uh, his, his friend had something odd about him. No matter what happened, he'd always say, this is good. No matter what, how bad, he'd say, this is good. That's, he'd say, this is good. And so they'd go out hunting. They went out hunting on one particular 
occasion, it was the friend's job to load the guns for the king. And he loaded a gun and handed it to the king, and the king aimed it and pulled the trigger, and the gun blew up and blew his thumb off. Well, his friend looked at that and he said, this is good. And the king said, this is not good. And he took his friend, had him put in jail. And a year later, the king went out again on a hunting expedition, and he went into a part of the country that he knew better than to go to. There were cannibals there. And sure enough, they captured him. And they were going to put him in the pot. And just as they were about to put him in the pot, they noticed that one of his thumbs was missing. That they had a superstition that if they ate a man that wasn't whole, that they would die. And so they turned the king loose. And he went back home and he got to feeling bad about his friend being in jail because it was good that he lost that thumb. So he went down to the jail and got his friend out and said, I'm so sorry that I put you in jail. And his friend said, no, this is good. Well, his king said, why is it good that you were in jail for a year? Well, he said, if I hadn't been in jail, I would have been with you. Now, that was good, wasn't it? <laughs> this is good. No matter what you get into, can you say, this is good? That's hard to do, isn't it? I was making coffee this morning, a simple job. I know it's simple to make coffee, but I can foul that up. And I put the coffee in the little do-jigger and put it in there and poured the water in the back, put the pot under there. And I went back in a little while and it hadn't made any coffee. And I said, what on earth is the matter? And so I got to fooling around with it. And I saw I had to have the little top on the pot before it would make the coffee. But uh, I pulled the pot, it, a little of it had run in there, and I pulled the pot out and I spilled it on my hand. I said, isn't that the dumbest thing any man ever did? And I looked at my wife. And she smiled. She said, this is good. <laughs> and I had to smile and say, this is good. <laughs> Everything's good. Can you learn to say, this is good? Oh, what a tough job that is. To say, this is good. The believer, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have a solid support in the times of affliction, which the unbeliever has not. The child of God knows that in his Father's presence is fullness of joy, and that in God's right hand there are pleasures forevermore. And faith lays hold of those things even now. Just as Israel in the wilderness was encouraged by sight of what awaited them in the promised land. Did you ever notice that? Look at the book of Numbers. We'll look at this one other scripture. 
the book of Numbers, chapter 13, how encouraging it was to the children of Israel to see what they were going to. Numbers 13.23, they came under the brook of Eshcol and cut down from thence a branch with one cluster of grapes and they buried between two upon a staff. Can you imagine carrying a little cluster of grapes and took two men to carry them? And they brought the pomegranates and the figs. Well, all right. How is that going to encourage the Israelites? Verse 26. They went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel under the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh and brought back word unto them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Look what we have. Look at these grapes. This is what you're going toward. Look at the size of these grapes. Took two men to carry these back to you. And it encouraged them greatly. So when you get discouraged, you just look at look at the grapes that God has laid up for you. You look what God has for you. Pleasures forevermore. Fullness of joy. That you're not able even to take in. It's so great. You think about what God has for you. And so the one who today walks by faith and not by sight always contemplates that which I have not seen nor ear heard, but which God has revealed to us. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love him, but God hath revealed them unto us. Look what I have for you. All of these things that he has for us. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. And so Paul... He looked for, at the glory, the glory that was coming. He could see the glory. If you get a glimpse of the glory of God, what He has for His people. Oh, if I could get a little glimpse of it, just the glory of God. See the Lord Jesus Christ in all of His glory. And then thirdly, the apostle rejoiced not only in the glory, but he said, you notice, he said the glory which should be revealed in us. He did say that, didn't he? We don't understand all that means, but we're shown much of it. And someone wrote this, which I like. It's called The Other Side. You want to see The Other Side? This isn't death, it's glory. It isn't dark, it's light. It isn't stumbling, groping, or even faith. It's sight. We're going to see. This isn't grief. It's having my last tear wiped away. It's sunrise. It's the morning of my eternal day. It isn't even praying. It's speaking face to face. It's listening and it's glimpsing the wonders of His grace. This is the end of pleading for strength to bear my pain, nor even pain's dark memory will ever live again. 
How did I bear the earth life before I came up higher? Before my soul was granted its ever deep desire? Before I knew this rapture of meeting face to face, the one, the one who sought me and saved me and kept me by His grace. He is the glory that we're going to see. The Lord Jesus is all the glory. And He'll be revealed in us. The glory is revealed in us. I don't even know what that means, but I know it's something wonderful. Think about, not now, but then, what's coming? What's coming? And you learn to say, this is very good. Everything's good. And then Paul saw this. He saw that the glory is the glory of a perfect body. Won't that be something? You heard anywhere? Oh, everybody hurts. Just hurt. Hurt. It just hurts. Everything seems to hurt, doesn't it? We're going to have the glory of a perfect body. I can't even imagine what that's like. 1 Corinthians 15.49 And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. And in that day this corruption shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal immortality and that which was sown in dishonor shall be raised in glory, and that which was sown in weakness shall be raised in power. Power, as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall bear the image of the heavenly. And Paul said, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. A new body. And then there'll be the glory of a transformed mind. Wouldn't you like to have that mind you have transformed? 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know even as also I am known. And each mind will be an orb of intellectual light. What capability of understanding will our minds enjoy? Then will all mysteries be unraveled, all problems solved, all discrepancies reconciled. 
And then shall each truth of God's revelation, each event of His providence, and each decision of His government will stand clearer and brighter than the sun itself. Do you, if you're like me, do you, as you try to learn, do you mourn the darkness of your mind, the weakness of your memory, and the limitation of your intellectual faculties? Do you mourn that? Do you rejoice in hope of the glory that's to be revealed in you when all of your intellectual powers will be renewed and developed and perfected so that you shall know even as you are known? And I won't have to ask Bill his name four or five times. I'll just know everybody. (laughs) I'll know everybody. Wonderful. You'll never be dumb again. Would you like to be get out of that dumb stage? I sure won't out of it. Well, we're going to get out of it. Not going to be dumb anymore. Then best of all, there'll be the glory of perfect holiness. God's work of grace in us then will be completed and He has promised to perfect that which concerns us. That's what Psalm 138.8 tells us. The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. And then will be the consummation of purity. You and I have been predestinated to be conformed to the image of God's Son. And when we shall see Him, we shall be like Him. And then our minds will no longer be defiled by evil imaginations. Our conscience is no longer bothered by a sense of guilt. And our affections no longer given to evil objects. No wonder Paul said, I glory in this. What a marvelous thing is this. A glory to be revealed in me. That's what he said. Be revealed in me who now can hardly reflect a single ray of light in me. So wayward and so unworthy and so sinful and living in very little communion with God who is the Father of lights. Can it be that in me this glory shall be revealed? No wonder Paul said the sufferings of this present life are not even worthy to be mentioned when I see the glory that I'm headed for. That's what the Word of God says. If I'm a child of light, I am a child of light through being in Him who is the outshining of the Father's glory. Then it's true that the glory shall be revealed in me. Old Jack Shanks have the glory revealed in him. Wonderful. If you're not glad right now, you ought to be glad. 
This is good. This is good. And finally, the apostle weighed the sufferings of this present time over against that glory. And as he did that, he said, the one is not even... Let's don't even mention what happens in this life. It's not worth mentioning compared to the glory. I tell you what, dear friend, one second of glory will outweigh a lifetime of suffering. And what were years of toil and sickness and battling with sorrow in every form when compared with the glory of Emmanuel's land? What is sickness and toil on this life? Nothing. One drink of the river of pleasure at God's right hand, one breath of the paradise of God, and one hour to stay amid the blood-washed ones around the throne shall more than compensate for all the tears and groans of earth. And there are tears and groans on this earth, in this life. We had two grandsons. Our daughter had two boys. Her husband was killed many, many years ago. And she had the two boys, and they she raised them with our help. They got to be men. One was 19 years old, one was 22. Beautiful boys. And uh, one of them, the 19-year-old, for some reason, went out and parked his car on a railroad track. And a train ran over him and killed him. So that was a great sadness. That boy, so talented and wonderful, And then his 22-year-old brother, two years later, lay down at night to go to sleep. And he went to sleep and never woke up and died. And those two boys are gone. But listen to this. Look at what God does. Their mother, our daughter, Carolee, a few months ago, called and told us that the Lord had been gracious to her and she understood now what we've been trying to tell her all these years. And we visited with her and she's not the same person. Though losing those two boys was greatly the cause of her seeking the Lord. And we helped her. And we talked to her. And you believe me now. We, I get emails from her that you wouldn't believe. So beautiful in what she knows about the Lord now. Wonderful. 
And so 